Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Players Experience Podcast. On this week's episode, we chat with two-time Canadian Olympic gold medalist in rowing, Marnie McBean. We talked with Marnie about her journey to the Olympics, what it was like to win a couple gold medals, as well as her relationship with her rowing partner, Kathleen Heddle. We also chat about the struggle and the challenges around the 2000 Sydney Olympics um, and the decision to pull out from those Olympics. And outside of rowing, we also talk about her accolades and accomplishments that she's received throughout the years, including being a movement maker and sitting on the Special Olympics Canada Champions Network. Before we bring Marnie onto the show, we would of course like to give a shout out to our production team, Jay Salty Photography and Vicmar Productions for their work on the intro, the video production, and the photos that you see each and every week. So make sure to go give them a follow on Instagram. As well, guys, we now have merch available uh, for sales, so make sure to hit me up if you are interested in getting some of that. You can check it out on our Instagram, and thank you to 19 Marketing for that production. So if you need anything marketing related, hit up 19 Marketing for that. Also, too, guys, remember that we have uh, a discount with Hush Blankets, the Jaywalk, and Great North Apparel. So use the Players Experience code when you're checking out to get some discounts on some of those great merchandise items as well. And guys, if you haven't already. What are you really waiting for? Honestly, it's great content that you're missing out. So hit the subscribe button. Make sure you're following us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts uh, so that you don't miss uh, any episodes and you don't miss the great content that is produced each and every week with some exciting new guests every week from sport reporters, pro athletes, and individuals in sport. Because guys, it's stuff that you want to hear and stuff that you don't want to miss out on. So make sure to uh, hit that subscribe button and give us a follow. Um, now, without further ado, let's bring Marnie onto the show and talk about her rowing career and what it was like to head to the Olympics. Marnie McBean, how are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, how have things been during this whole pandemic for you? You know, staying in the same walls, talking to the same people, um, <laughs> you know, which is, is the, the light side of it. You know, it, it's certainly been a challenge for everyone to figure out how to reorganize and, and get things done. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's making the most of it. That's good. That's good. Um, well, yeah, let's uh, let's start off. I like to start off every interview or chat that I do with a rapid fire section. So I'm going to ask you four questions. Just first thing that comes to mind, just spit them out. Uh, so, what is your favorite time of day? Uh, Sometimes morning when I'm when I'm rowing and I've got a good purpose, I'll get out in the morning before everyone's out. So I'll go with. The morning. I don't always take advantage of it. The morning. <laughs> I mean, hey, let's be honest. When it's like Saturday morning, you've had a busy week. The last thing you want to do is wake up early as well. You just want to kind of. Oh, unless you're going rowing, because that's when the best water is. When you when you actually get out and get going, the morning is it's pretty special, and it's the most beautiful time. And I mean, early morning, like. Like five a.m., six a.m. Yeah, let's go six. Yeah. <laughs> um, strangest thing that you would find in your fridge right now? I have a really large jar of bacon grease. 
Um, maybe that's not strange. Maybe it's like, oh, everybody's got that can, but I use it. Like I will, um, I'll make popcorn and bacon fat instead of, you know, everyone else uses like Mazzola or whatever. I'll I'll use a little bit of bacon grease in there. So I'll use bacon grease for a lot of things. I fry toast in it sometimes. Um, But yeah, I love my little jar of bacon fat. Now, what's a TV show you're currently watching? Uh, Oh, maybe uh, it's, um, I suppose I just watched uh, One Mississippi with uh, Tig Navarro. It's on Prime, um, but it's... uh, a comedian and uh she's just pretty hilarious and she actually does a, a radio show um just talks about what's going on and that always leads into music but it's it, it like most shows it started off slow i feel with every show you have to give it three episodes i was that way with Shit's creek i didn't like Shit's creek at the beginning but after three episodes we loved it yeah. and it was the same with uh, one mississippi that's awesome okay and another sport you'd want to compete in um, I think I like the, the, the suffer sports. So it's going to be cycling, uh, long track speed skating, probably those two cycling or long track speed skating. Okay, cool. So not sprint cycling, <laughs> sprint cycling. I have no sprinting ability, so distance. Okay. So leading into that, where did the passion from, for rowing come from for you? Oof. I think it was, um, you know, Ryan, I think everyone's lucky, lucky. I think everyone's excellent at something, right? I think everyone's got a sport in them or a passion in them, whether it's going to be like, honestly, music or drama or sport. And you're just really lucky if you find it. And um, I remember when I was like in my teens, like I didn't find rowing until I was like 16, 17. Um, but I just, I was sort of been brought up to try new things and I went I tried it I, I loved it right away and I loved the the for me it sort of speaks to that that answer I just gave it's a bit of a suffer sport so it's it's not too quick because uh, I'm, I'm actually my hand-eye coordination and my agility are a little on the low scale side for um, a high performance athlete but um, I have the right mentality for focusing on um, I guess a, a Every stroke's a little bit different, but um, a repetitive task that just requires grind. And there is uh, a lot more to it, a lot of strategy and a lot of thinking to it. Um, so I just, I just loved it right away. I, I loved uh, the complexity of it. Like it's all subtle complexity, like rowing's not just applying your, your body back and forth to try to push the water away. It's also balancing the boat and it's timing of the blades coming in. And, and then it's um, an in, individual task but you have to do it um, in almost there, unless you're in the single um, it's an individual task that you have to do in concert with everyone else. So it is a team sport, um, but you're doing your own thing. Uh, so it's, there's so many things in it that just really speak to my personality. And I feel really lucky the day that I tried it um, and that some coaches gave me some time and, and, you know, polished me up a little bit. So yeah, that's awesome because your passion for rowing definitely um, was a success for you. You got to compete in the your first Olympic Games in 1992 in Barcelona, where you and your rowing partner Kathleen Heddle uh, were both gold medalists in both the Coxless pair and the eight. What was the feeling like for you to win two gold medals at your first Olympic appearance on the biggest sports stage in the world? Oh uh, well, it was. 
you know, it was, it was kind of that thing where I just sort of naively did it. We, we just sort of naively did it at the time. You know, we showed up at our first Olympics. We, we raced our races. We won our races. And it wasn't until it was all over that we're having that like, oh, my God, we just won at the Olympics. Like, who does this? And not only did we do it once, but we did it twice. And uh, actually, the group I was with, um, you know, not only did we win in the, in the pair in the eight, but our teammates also won in the four, the men's eight won, Silken got a bronze medal. It was like I was surrounded by, um, you know, I had 18 friends won a gold medal in, and 19 of my friends won an Olympic medal in two days and six of us won too. And we're like, oh, that's, you know, pretty cool. It was a, it was a pretty great team to be part of. Um, and it wasn't until we, we sort of kind of, moved away from that and got out of our bubble of our team that we realized that what we had done had been a really big deal. Um, and we kind of knew it, but you know, when, when you're doing it, um, there's, you, you somehow, and, and it was, everything was sort of quieter and simpler. Like this is way back in the nineties, right? Um, there's no 24 hour news cycle. Like the coverage of the games was, yeah, it was, it was professional and it was really well done, but it was a bit lame. <laughs> like if I, if I go to watch video of those races, like it's not, it's not well filmed or anything like now they have drones everywhere following the, the rowing race. But how we felt about it was there was an element of somehow we did the right thing. And, and by the right thing, somehow we just focused on rowing. We didn't focus much on it being the Olympics. We're just like, it's the next competition that we're going to do. And, you know, now I do a lot of mentoring and I work with a lot of athletes, um, you know, uh, Special Olympic athletes. I've been the, the, the mentor um, and I had the title. I was a, a specialist in Olympic athlete preparation and mentoring from 2006 to 2014 uh, with the Canadian Olympic team. And I tell you, one of the biggest things that I say to everyone is that normal people can do special things because I, I feel like, you know, I'm just kind of the kid next door. And I grew up like I, you know, I was saying I didn't even find rowing till I was 16 or 17. And Oh my God, my nutrition. I, I just told, I told you I have a jar of bacon fat in my fridge, right? My nutrition certainly isn't what you think of like a stereotypical like Olympic champion or Olymp even Olympic, um, I hate to use the word. Uh, I was going to say hero, but I'll go with like an icon sounds funny because I'm using it to describe myself. I'm like, how is that possible? You know, I'm, I'm just me. Um, but that's, that's the thing I started learning is like, you know, I, focus on the sport, focus on the thing that you love to do. Um, and then the, the ceremony around you and everything, the big thing kind of takes care of itself. And right now I'm, I'm the chef de mission for team Canada going to Tokyo 2020 plus one. Um, but, uh, it's, it's that same thing. It's like the, uh, f fear and doubt are part of the path and normal people do extraordinary things. So we are going to be the normal people who are going to go and do this. Like these are my me messaging all the time to athletes. And I kind of, you know, so when we won in 92, when Kathleen and I won, like not just one, but two gold medals, it was like, a, how the heck did we do that? And I remember, I'm going to go on with a long answer. Just 
for a second because now it's just sort of flipped into my brain. This is what the show's all about. It's about your experiences. So please continue. Yeah. So, you know, when did it kind of hit me? I remember a couple of days after we won and we've done all the media and we've talked and I remember walking around the Olympic village and an Olympic village is a pretty extraordinary place. Like you walk around and you're looking at all the, the different athletes from around the world, right? Every, every nation, every culture is in there and every athlete you've ever heard of in your life is in there, right? Like, so in 92, we also had the uh, American basketball dream team. Literally every athlete you heard of was, was in this village. We had professional tennis players. We had professional basketball players. Um, we didn't have the, the, we didn't have the golfers yet, but um, you know, er everybody was there and, the bodies walking around are like machines. Like some of them are, you're just like, Oh my gosh, these people are like, that's, that's a Terminator over there. Like, like just their body is like perfect. And I, I'm walking around, you know, just being me and I don't have that Terminator body. And, and, you know, I'm just kind of this normal kid from um, Etobicoke just outside of Toronto. But I realized that in my room in the Olympic Village, where I am a resident. I'm a resident of this, this town of 10,000 people. And the 10,000 people are the best in the world. Everybody, everybody who lives in this town of 10,000 people is the best in their country at what they do, right? And they're, they're, they believe in perfection. And here I am, like, I'm a legit resident of, of this town. And in my sock drawer back in my room because my medals were already in my sock drawer in my sock drawer back in my room i have two gold medals and that is what everybody in this town wants and i think i just kind of froze i was walking around and i just froze and i was like wow like i actually belong here right like i'm not just some sort of interloper in an olympic village I, I snagged the golden ring. Like I, like I've got it. And, and it was just, that was always, it was, it's, it's always, I find that the quiet moments where you get to reflect that are way more powerful than the, the big like metal around your neck moment. Cause it's just too much going on, too much, too much going on then to really um, reflect on how big that moment was. And honestly, it's funny that you mentioned that your, your medals are in the sock drawer because I was going to say every Canadian Olympian or just Olympian in general I've been able to have on the show. So whether it's been Mark Tewksbury, Patrick Chan, uh, yourself, I, I always ask the question, where do you keep your gold medals? Because it, it's always interesting to hear where they keep them because like yeah. Patrick Chan said he put something in the Lululemon bag beside his dog toys. And <laughs> I had like Diana Matheson actually have it like right behind her in like a little case, right? And it's always yeah. interesting to see where your, the Olympians put their medals. Yeah. So mine have migrated over the years. They are in, um, you know, in your kitchen, there's that stuff drawer yeah. and there's stuff in it. Like whether it's scotch tape and a screwdriver and some batteries and uh, <laughs> warranties and menus and stuff like that. My, my medals are in the, the stuff drawer now. So, <laughs> Hey, I need you to go get those batteries. Don't mind the metals, just, just the batteries. Yeah, totally. Totally. And sometimes somebody will come over and they'll like, if, you know, if, 
right, back in the day when you could have guests in your house, if we were having a, like a dinner party or something like that, and someone would finally get up the nerve to go like, where, where are they? And I'm like, oh, they're just over, over there. And they're just, you know, it is, you got to dig, dig past the, the old shoelaces or whatever, you know, the skate laces to dig them out. No, that's awesome. Now, talking about those gold medals and, and some additional medals, four years later, the two of you got to compete in Atlanta where you won a gold in the double skulls and a bronze in the quadruple skulls. What was the work and dedication like for the both of you from 92 uh, in Barcelona to perform again in 96 and finish again on the podium? Oh boy, Ryan, that's like a whole hour right there. Um, well, hey, so, talking about like your nutrition and your competition skills and things like that. Yeah, well, it, it was also life. Um, so Kathleen re- kind of retired. Kathleen retired after 92. Um, and I was left uh, alone, most of my teammates. So, you know, I said 19 of my friends won a, an Olympic medal. I would say... Uh, of the nine women, uh, actually 10 women, if I count Silken, um, of the 10 women, three of us continued on. And, um, I, I, I was the only sort of starboard rower who continued. And I was just like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't want, um, like Kathleen Heddle was an extraordinary uh, partner and I was like, I don't know how to to replace that. So I went into the single. So, you know, in that period of time between 92 and 96, like I switched events. So you said, uh, you know, you told the audience that I got the medals in 92 in the Coxless pair and the eight. And, you know, I also heard how you said it, that you, like everybody, you had no idea what you were talking about, right? It's a coxless pair. What does that mean? Now, the the coxy is the person in a rowing boat. Um, They're usually uh, quite small, like a jockey um, in in horseback riding or something like that. But they are so essential. So the the coxswain, it's the full name is the coxswain, but we call them the coxy. The the coxy is... um, strategy and motivator and coach and they do so many things in the boat to make sure that um, in the bigger boat uh, that everybody's coordinated Uh, and that's uh, Leslie Thompson Willie and and she's God but um, because she's just so good at what she does but so you have one of those in an eight and as the boat gets smaller you don't want to carry around an extra hundred pounds because it'll slow you down so in a coxless pair there's no coxy so there's the, the coxed eight and the coxless pair and in rowing when they say pair four eight everybody has one oar and so you have both hands on one big oar but when you say single double quadruple what it sounds like multiplication it's sculling and so you have two oars and so what i did when when kathleen retired uh I went into sculling. So now I was the only person in a boat and I went from holding on one oar to holding on two oars, which internationally uh, doesn't get done. The Europeans don't tend to sweep row and the North Americans don't tend to scull, but I I switched over. So I had a big learning curve and Kathleen was uh, going and she was finishing some, um, some education and some courses, but I kept calling her up like every month I would call her up. I'm like, do you want to come back? Do you want to come back? Do you want to come back? And she would take the call. And then when I was getting close to big competitions, like world cup competitions or world championships, she's like, no, you should go and focus on your rowing now. And I'm like, okay. Uh, And then that season would end. But so I switched to sculling. Uh, Kathleen took a year and a half off and eventually in the 94 season, I convinced her to come back. Um, You know, that was, 
that's a long story too. But so we only had seven weeks to the world championships and, and in 94, we kind of threw it together. So in 94, we raced a double, which is different from the pair. So the pair, we both had one oar, so we're like one oar each. Um, and in 94, now we had two oars. So we didn't have to compare to like the Olympic champion selves. We're like, man, let's see how we do in the double. Um, and we actually were just behind New Zealand for the silver medal at the world championships, which was awesome because we'd only had seven weeks to train. Um, but Kathleen wasn't, still wasn't convinced that she wanted to come back. But early in the 95 season, she did. So now we start getting into complicated. How did our training go? So our training was always going up. So the training to get to two gold medals uh, was a lot. Um, the training, it, and you don't just repeat that, right? Like that was top of the food chain. We won two gold medals. You don't just get to do that again. Because if we showed up to the 96 Olympics in the same sh shape that we'd showed up to the 92 Olympics, we're not going to win. We, we might make the finals, but we have to be better. So our training, we had to do more training. We had to try and be faster. We had to try and be more efficient. Um, but uh, Kathleen did come back uh, in the 95 season. Um, we also have to work on our, our personal relationship and how we're communicating. You know, that's, you, you know, you're a team sport. That's not easy. It's, it's like any relationship. Um, sometimes with two people in the boat, uh, Kathleen and I often referred to it, it was like a, an, an arranged marriage because we were originally put together. Uh, she's a quiet person. She, sorry, she was a quiet person. Uh, she passed away this year, which still breaks my heart. Um, but Kathleen was an introvert and kept her um, aggression and, and um, how she was competitive just quiet and it was all there. And I was like, like, let's go. So we, we had to figure out how to, how to blend these things. And then finally, on top of all this, trying to do more uh, with our strength, trying to do more with our technique, trying to do more with our relationship. We also are having layered onto all of this, the expectation. And, and this is what was really different about 96 was, um, you know, I, how did we do in 92? And I was like, oh, it was kind of quiet. We went in and did our job and it was like sweet, and naive. But now everyone, um, you know, Kathleen Heddle and Marty McBean are paired up again and going into their Olympics. So we're world and Olympic champions and we won the world championships uh, again in 95. So now going into the Atlanta Olympics, we are the reigning Olympic champs a champions. We are reigning world champions in the event we're going into. Um, Atlanta was a very, uh, because Atlanta is very close. Um, well, the, the States are our neighbor and Atlanta is like a close flight from Toronto. It was very much treated a bit like a home games and a sponsorship side. So there was a huge amount of sponsorship going into it. Uh, so we had, I think I had um, 12 national sponsors I was in the paper a lot and the expectation on us was really, really high. Um, and I th sometimes think that expectation can be the enemy of, of joy, right. And, and fun and fun and joy are sometimes the ticket to winning, right. If you're having fun and you, even when it's really, really hard and, and really stressful, if there's like this thread of fun through it and you just like, this is, I'm, this is awesome. Um, you know, we definitely had that going into our first Olympics and it was uh, pretty tenuous how we were able to hold on to that. 
so that was the big difference going into to 96 is that we had it was at times suffocating um, trying to manage all of this. And, and because of Kathleen's sort of more introverted nature, um, she was very uncomfortable with it. So uh, we had to work hard. I'm, I'm, I'm proud at how I figured it out. I figured it out with enough time that I, I built fences around that for us, even though there's tons of things I would have said yes to. Uh, we said no to the cover to a national magazine. We said no to a cereal box. We said no to a lot of things that I would have thought were super cool. Um, but Kathleen was uh, smarter than that. And, and she knew to remember what was important. And that was our rowing and, and focusing on, um, you know, a big part of rowing is the calmness that goes with it. And she kept us connected to that. Now, I want to chat a little bit more about Kathleen. As you mentioned, she just passed away a couple of months ago. And my condolences to you uh, as well, like as her family. And you were so obviously close-knit with her competing at the Olympics. And, and just having that, maintain that friendship post-career and, and post-Olympics, right? And um, what would, I want to find out from you, what was one favorite memory that you have between the two of you that like I wanted to give you the opportunity to share on the show and, and so that people got an idea of who Kathleen was, but also um, just to kind of honor her memory a little bit. And, and uh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I know, I'm it's, like, it's 10.30. Hearing up. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. I don't mean to make you tear up, but like you guys are close. And, and, um, and yeah, I just wanted to. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. Like I have, you know, this this flood of memories. Um, you know, Kathleen, she's she was one of those people who uh, she's like the f the funniest person, you know. But you've got to be smart enough to listen, kind of thing. Like when if you're listening for the the big joke or like a, you know a loud, boisterous um, something demonstratively funny, you're not going to get it. Um, but if you listen to the, the, the quiet, and she was never mean, right? She was never catty. But, um, you know, there would be these just comments and stuff like that that were like super funny and would just sort of end up making, making you giggle. Um, but the, the things that always strike me with Kathleen is just um, how, how we got through the work, right? Like, you know, I... Uh, how she stood up for herself at times that, like, you know, you, you think it was easy to think that, and, and people made the mistake that as a loud and um, uh, yeah, maybe I'll use the word that Kathleen might've used sometimes loud and, and more obnoxious person that I, I would steamroll the relationship all the time and steamroll a, a, a situation all the time. But the truth is I only got away with Kathleen, with what Kathleen let me get away with. Because if there's ever something that she totally disagreed with, like if she didn't care about something, she'd let me like just go off. Um, but if she cared about something, she, she would like always like just put her foot down and go, I, I don't agree with that or you're wrong. And I, I remember once realizing, you know, if I could come back as anything, maybe I would come back as a quiet person because when they actually speak up, they've got such power, you know, for like, that's certainly one of the things that I realized, but I guess one of my favorite memories, uh, when I think about Kathleen, it, it was always, she taught me to, um, recognize the power of, 
um, quiet, if not silent communication. And, you know, certainly in rowing, like I, I have a speaking role and, and we spend enough time training with each other that in a race, I, I have to do some talking, but my heart rate's at 204 beats per minute. And I'm like, <sighs> so it's not like I'm going to get super chatty. So we get to this sense where um, like a word or two will mean a paragraph or even weeks of training. So there, there's an element that we had all these little things that meant so much. And somehow we, one day we were talking about a really old cartoon and um, you know, it's in the, the, the realm of like Bugs Bunny kind of thing, like original Bugs Bunny. And it's these two sheepdog um, dogs and they, they work in a factory and one does the night shift and one does the day shift. And as one is arriving, um, it kind of like, they had to use these punch cards, right? So I'm like, I, the, the, the number of things I have to describe because they're so old, but it was like a piece of paper and you put it to the thing and it would punch the time that you started work. And it would be the same time the other sheepdog would punch it and it would be the time that it stopped work. And one like, and so you punched in uh, to like start the clock and you punched in to stop the clock. And we would finish really hard workouts and we would look at each other and we'd just be like, And we'd walk off and that was just like the value of that row was so high because we wanted to make sure we, we punched the clock with it and there's no words to it. Right. And it's just a look and it's a smile and it's an understanding and it's a respect for, uh, for the, the, the value of work that we had just done. Um, you know, another time, and it was always the, 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 the quality uh, of the work that we did. We did, we went out, um, I think it was in, yeah, I'm pretty sure, in 1991, we were at a training camp before the world championships. And, uh, you know, people always ask a favorite moment in sport and they expect you to say like, oh, it was this race or it was that race where we won this or when we came from behind. Like, I remember a lot of those races, but I think my, my favorite memory was this row that we had in this lake. It, it's in Switzerland. There are like there's cows watch, watching us. That's it. There's nobody around. And even then the cows are pretty far because we're in the middle of the lake and they're on the grass. And we went out and we are were, we were rowing and rowing's a little bit, balance in rowing's a little bit like riding a bike. Like if you're going fast, it's really easy to balance, but the slower and slower you go, it's, it's harder to balance. And then, you know, this is when we were rowing in a pair. So uh, Kathleen would have an oar going out one side and I had an oar going out the other side. And, what, and, and when you're rowing, so your blades are in the water and then they come out. And when your blades are out of the water, it's, the boat can be really tippy. And usually you see beginners, their blades are hitting the water on either side. And so what we did was we slowed the boat down as slow as we could. Um, like we were going so slow, the computer that tracks the number of strokes we take per minute turned off, right? It wasn't recognizing the fact that we were still rowing. And we rode uh, 2,000 meters as a race distance. We rode 2,000 meters so slowly that our computer didn't know to turn on. And what we did instead of bringing our blades out of the water and then making it easier by, this is called feathering them, like turning them flat, we kept them square. So it was low rate rowing, square blade, like as slow as you can go kind of thing. And the goal was not ticking the water. So keeping the balance perfect 
and doing this together. So you have to go in together and out together. And we went for about two, 2000 meters, which going this slow probably took us 12 minutes to like 15 minutes. Like, I don't know because the computer wouldn't turn on. Um, but we did it. We went 2000 meters. We didn't tick the water and we got to the end of that. And that's, that's a very technical rowing story, but it's like, my like is one of my proudest rows because we got to the end of that and we were like well we did it like that was amazing like that was totally amazing and it's funny because for such a slow slow row i think that was the workout where i knew we could win the world championships that year and we did we went from like that kind of precision on a slow race to that year at the world championships, we set the world's best time, like significantly. I think we dropped the world's best time by like five seconds or something like that. But it was that kind of row. And I remember saying to Kathleen, I said, oh, you know what? That was amazing. Like, but I'm like, my brain is fried. Like we had to think so much and our body was like on fire so much to get that done. Um, and I remember like rowing in and our, our coach came over and, and, when he saw us, we looked like crap because we were like, oh, you know, it's just like we had nothing left. We're like just dragging ourselves over the dock. And he actually came over and yelled at us. And he was like, why do you guys, you, you, you look so, you know, he didn't say this, but he's like, you look so crappy and what's going on. And, you know, I leave you for two seconds and this is what's going on. And I'm the one who always like talks back and I'm about to like talk back. And, and Kathleen just looks over at Al and kind of quietly says, Al, I, I think you're wrong. And he didn't know what to say, right? Because Kathleen never speaks up. And, and he like, he took off. He like started his boat and he, he took off. And then we're still like rowing back to the dock. And, and before we got back to the dock, he came over and he apologized. And I thought, oh my God, for all the times I've talked back, he has never apologized to me. I'm like, I want to be Kathleen. That was awesome. Anyways, so it's, that's, that's sort of one of my... She just had so much power and she was so kind and so talented. And yeah, I don't want to cry again. So I'll stop there. But I already am. I'm like, oh. No, but that's awesome. It's great. Like when you, when you try and get a partner when it comes to any sport, whether it's rowing, whether you're playing tennis or, or whatever it is, whatever, um, whatever partnership and, and friendship that you really develop, it, it's a lifelong relationship, right? And as you know, I'm like, I'm an athlete with Special Olympics and, and the guys that are on my softball team, they're, they're giving me family for, with me for the next 15, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it may be, because we were able to spend two national, um, um, I don't want to say championships because we only won one of them. We won bronze at the other, but yep. making that trip out to nationals, we spent that time together and spent the time in our like version of the Olympic village and, and things like that. So it's really, um, it's re it really gets motivational, especially um, when you have that friendship and, and you look back at the memories that you guys had. Right. So yep. no, um, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that you were able to, to have that friendship and, and, and still be able to talk about caffeine and share her memory so that yeah. others can get to know how great of an individual she was. Yeah. You know, Ryan, like you talk about sort of that sort of brothership you have with your teammates and it's, it's not like, you know, once we retired that Kathleen and I were hanging out all the time. Cause that's, that's not like, that wouldn't be accurate. Like we would maybe connect a couple times a year, but the thing that always existed even 20 years after we had raced together 
was like the trust and we could connect that we could kind of dive right in into things and and i think that was what's always special is you know that the bond you have with your teammates um it it is always needs to be respected but it doesn't need to be coddled or babied it's just it's kind of always there and you can re you can reach out no for sure and that's a great way to put it um now i want to chat with you about your what would have been your third olympic appearance in 2000 in sydney um unfortunately you had to pull out and withdraw from that olympic games due to a back injury um and shortly after that back injury and, and decided to pull out you ended up also deciding to retire from international competition what was the feeling like for you to not only be able to not make another appearance at the olympics but like just the the mindset around retiring from the sport you know it's funny i i went into the sydney olympics kind of thinking it was going to be my last Olympics. Like, you know, I was, um, I was trying to figure out if how hungry I was still for it. Like, I, I think just because you can do something at that level doesn't mean you should, you have to be, you have to be hungry for it because it's just so hard and it, it's really your whole life. Um, and increasingly I was starting to like, as an athlete, I always had blinders on, like I was very laser focused on sport and increasingly, you know, I was getting older and, and doing more things and it was harder for me to keep those, those blinders on. And once you realize there's like a big, interesting world out there with lots of things to do, um, it was getting harder and harder for me to focus on them. So th that was coming up. And then through the 99 um, and the 2000 season, I was just going slower and slower and we couldn't figure out why. Like we had, it wasn't until the very last minute that we understood that it was a, had been a back issue. I thought I had a hamstring problem and I couldn't figure out why I was going slower, but you know, it, it turned out that the back issue was affecting my whole drivetrain. Um, but I, I, you know, there's this element of when I, had to withdraw. Like I was in Australia. Um, I did everything I could. And at the moment I had to withdraw, I couldn't sit down without excruciating pain. Right. Like actually for a while I couldn't even stand up, but I, um, you know, as a rower, you need to be able to sit down. And, and so it was kind of easy to withdraw because I couldn't sit. It's like, you know, if I can't sit, I can't row. So that's done. And I also um, had seen other athletes try and go through extraordinary measures like uh, cortisone shots and, and row through the pain. And it really affected their um, mobility for like decades later. And I was still young and I thought, you know, one day I would like to have, um, you know, I hope to have kids and, and you know, physically uh, uh, play with, with um, kids. And I do, I do now have a five-year-old and I do physically play with her. Um, but I also knew what luxury I had to make a sane decision um, because I had, you know, back in my sock drawer, this big pile of medals. It wasn't like I was trying to win my first Olympic uh, medal. Um, I knew I'd been really fast, but it was time. So, uh, you know, I withdrew from those Olympics and I didn't want that to be my obit kind of thing. So, cause I remember lots of journalists wrote that, you know, I wasn't going to be competing very much like it was an obituary. Um, and so I remember coming home, having back surgery uh, and getting myself strong, uh, getting onto a rowing machine. And once I could row, uh, once I could pull a, a test that would have been a, a, a reasonable test 
even without the back injury. So like a recovery, um, I just made a decision that I, I just wasn't hungry enough for it anymore. Um, you know, there, there, there wasn't, there wasn't the spark for me. Like I, I had worked with the same coach. There wasn't a different coach for me to work with. There weren't, um, at that time, there weren't athletes, uh, that were, I felt inspired to join like the, the whole, the, there was just no place for me. And so I said, you know, it was, it was time to move on. I think, you know, time would pass and different coaches would come and different athletes would come. And I'm like, Oh, that'd be a fun team to be on. Um, and sometimes I think that's partly just the lifestyle. Like you, it's hard not to miss the lifestyle when you retire. Uh, like I would say easily for 10 years, I was kind of, you know, if I wanted to, I could get back on this team. Um, and now I'm like, not a chance because it's just way too hard, but um, I miss it. And uh, it was, it was, you know, certainly a challenge to end my Olympic career with a withdrawal. But like every Olympics, um, I learned a big lesson from that. Like I had always been outrageously independent and took care of myself. And, and when my back blew, like I had two discs rupture in my lower back, when that happened, um, you know, I, I needed, I need to, to accept help when, when friends and teammates and strangers um, offered help. I just said yes, because I needed it. And I suppose it's one of the big life lessons I learned um, was how kind people can be if you let them, right? So I know I, like, I love to offer to help people and I mean it. Um, but for the longest time, I was not very good at, at letting other people do that for me. And then probably I'm still not as great as it, you know, because I'm back to being independent and strong. But um, the one thing I know is uh, people are so kind. Um, and people are so generous, but you, you, you have to let them, let them be that. And it's, that was the lesson I learned that year. Well, Hey, if you ever want to have that competitive itch scratched in the future, when COVID ends and when we can get back to some, like the new normal, I know a team at special Olympics, uh, for staff usually put, we put in a dragon boat racing team in Ooh. the past. So we could always probably get you in there as a friend and family aspect. Now yeah, careful inviting me to, to water sports <laughs> like that because I, I get pretty intense and I, I, I might not be very nice, like especially with paddling sports. I'm like, come on! <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I just have a couple more questions for you. Uh, this one I have to read right off the screen because there's so many accolades and I want to congratulate you multiple times for these, but in 1997, you were inducted into the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame and awarded the Meridius. Mer That's a tough one, Meritorious. There you go. I knew I was going to screw up. I, I always do. Um, Everybody does, honestly. <laughs> I, I put it in there as a tongue twister. It's, it's so funny. Okay, perfect. So it's not just me. Good. Um, and then in 2002, um, you were awarded the uh, Thomas Keller Medal by the FISA. As well, in 2013, you were made an officer of the Order of Canada. And to top things off, as you mentioned earlier, you were just appointed Chef de Michonne of the Team Canada uh, team for the Tokyo Olympics. That's definitely quite a list of honorable inductions and titles and, and awards. What does it all mean for you to be recognized as such a great Canadian rower and the athlete that you are? Kind of weird, um, you know, because you, you sort of think, 
how is that me kind of thing. But, um, and, and it's, it's almost weird the further I get away from rowing, because if I watch a video of me rowing, like just the other day that the Canadian Olympic team sent me a clip from the 96 Olympics and they said, Oh, would you do this voiceover and, and tell me about your experience there? And there's this part, you know, as I'm supposed to be talking about it, where I'm just like, staring at the screen going I can't believe I was that good like look at that like we were so good and uh you know to get these awards and put me sort of on a list and in a room and in a hall with uh other Canadians and other athletes who um have done extraordinary things whether it's in sport or uh you know philanthropy how they give back to their community um you know, it's pretty amazing, but I, I think sometimes the thing I'm most proud of is a lot of them recognize a more holistic athlete, right? So it's, it's a lot of them aren't given out just for being an athlete, but you have to have um, some community involvement as well and, and give back. And, and, you know, I've, I have always felt that I, I've been so blessed to, you know, like I said, I was, I was lucky to find rowing and it fit perfect with, perfectly for me and everything went well and the doors and the bridges and the opportunities all presented themselves for me. So I got to live this extraordinary lifestyle. Um, and then I, I'm quite proud of the fact that I have always worked to reach out and bring others with me um, to uh, support others on their journey to, um, you know, support, encourage, uh, health and fitness of, of Canadian youth and, and youth around the world and, and activity because of all the different things it brings. And, and I think, I think that's the part like that community that I get recognized as being part of that community, um, Make, makes me pretty proud. And it also encourages me to keep doing stuff, right? Because it's, there is that thing that sometimes, you know, where does motivation come from? It comes from everywhere. And, and sometimes it's like, well, I'm on this list. I, I have that award. I am an officer of the Order of Canada, or I, I you know, I, um, well, then I, I, I should step up, right? So sometimes it's that motivator that's like, well, you got to go and figure out how to help and, and to be a voice and to be an advocate and, and, you know, uh, I'm part of the LGBT community, so I, I need to be a voice and an advocate for um, my community and for people who don't have the strength and the, and the privilege um, to to do it. So it's it's I'm I'm the one who has to be starting the hard conversations and and pointing out things that sometimes are uncomfortable and need to be changed. Um, so that that list of honors um, is is a gift but it's it's also a a reminder of the obligation of of giving back now talking about giving back um we mentioned it earlier about the special olympics movement and the message of inclusion um outside of the sport you all are a member of uh the special olympics canada champions network what's it like to be a member of that network um and and be that voice and advocate for special Olympic athletes as well and what's been one of your favorite events that you've been able to attend through that uh, movement um oh my goodness you know it's funny um i was i was going to say one of the favorite events i went to was uh, the World Games um, in Abu Dhabi. And, and for sure, that was amazing. I got to go 
uh, and watch so many of the sports, right? I watched the soccer and the bocce and the weightlifting and, and golf. And like, it was, it was so amazing um, to be immersed in, in that sort of high performance environment. But then I remember I used to go, uh, well, in December, there's the, the Sports Celebrity Festival and the awards, the, the award show. I've been going to that since like 91, right, for a really long time. And we used to do floor hockey. Um, and I, I don't know if you were there, but um, a long time ago. But the floor hockey would get so competitive and there'd be, you know, sometimes some of the, the – um, the Leafs around and, and some of the, uh, the special Olympic athletes and some Olympic athletes and, you know, like some blue Jays and whatever. And we would be full on contact, like for a ringette kind of thing going at each other. And it was so like, it was such a family. Right. And then we would, we would have the, the breakfast the next day and, and every year we'd come together and it was like seeing family. So in this, you know, you're talking about all the the awards. You know, when I'm going to the Canada Sport Hall of Fame, I get together with that that family. Um, but, but when I get to the the Special Olympic, uh, it was the Sports Celebrity Festival. There was, uh, you know, one, there would be the breakfast, and then during the day there would be the, like, you know, it was either skating or uh, ringette floor hockey. Um, and then there'd be the dinner. Um, oh, and there was the awards show. I think it was the awards and the ring at when I actually got to uh, too many events I go to and I don't get to um, hang out with um, the people that we're celebrating. Um, and, and so I think it was like, it's, it's definitely the floor hockey. And I think John Tavares was playing once and he was still so young. And uh, I, I remember giving him a, a pretty solid, you know, body check going for the, yeah, he hadn't figured out how to like pull his teeth out, right? A little bit. And I mean that in the, he was still being like sweet and nice and everyone else I knew was going to be super competitive. So he came out kind of a little bit patronizing um, for, for the room. Like, you know, he was, he didn't really understand how competitive special Olympic athletes were like in the first moment, but within 10 minutes when he'd kind of been slammed around quite a bit, uh, yeah, that was good. Like, he's like, oh, awesome. I want to pick up this, pick up the pace. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, it was great. That's awesome. Um, yeah, the yeah, special events are so much fun. And like, I got involved uh, around the same age as you got involved with throwing. I, I was 16, I was in high school. Um, and that's when I got involved. And, and here we are 14, 15 years <laughs> later. And it's crazy to think how, like, where, um, where Special Olympics has come as an organization, where the movement has gone, how many athletes are involved, and so much yeah. more. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Like, and, and, and you know, and, and sadly, another athlete that passed, I can't remember Arthur's last name right now, but Arthur had been going to the Special Olympic um, events. We, we had been attending them. Like, he, he was a Special Olympian, and he had been going since I had been going. And I remember uh, just a couple of years ago running into him. And we were talking and he was telling me, I'm like, how, how are you doing? And, you know, he went on and he told me I was doing, he was doing great, but he told me, you know, about his family and there'd been some trials that like some challenges and, and his, his, I believe his father had passed away and, and, you know, his mother was doing her best and his like, like sisters and, and his siblings were kind of like stepping up and they had their own challenges and, and, 
you know, I have to say, Ryan, it was one of those things where it was, I saw Arthur right then as he was having the same grown up adult issues that I was having. Um, you know, we had, we had been going to these events for 30 years together. Uh, and it was, it was a really, um, I'm really glad I had that conversation with Arthur and, and, uh, it, it was a good reminder that, uh, you know, these, the Special Olympic athletes like yourself, you're, you're growing up and, and um, becoming adults and having all the same, you know, life uh, progressions, you know, the, the good, the bad, and the, the family politics and the, the family struggles. And it, was, it was really neat. No, for sure. And that's awesome. And, and on behalf of all my fellow athletes, I just want to say, Thank you to you for being a member of that Champions Network because um, it, it may be something, yeah, very minor for you and just and and something that you have fun doing. But for us, it, it's really cool to have you as part of the Champions Network and being able to share our stories with you. And, and that's how our friendship has kind of developed is through these through these events as well. So um, yeah, so no, thank you for being part of it. No problem. I, I'm realizing I should have left a long time ago and gotten a, I, I Since you had me talking about Kathleen, I think my eyes have been crying the whole time. And then I was talking about Arthur and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, you can title this the, the weepy interview. No, 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 no. This is, no, it's never going to be titled that. Don't worry. <laughs> no. If you put a filter over, you know, take out the, yeah, anyways. And my last question for you is you have so much experience with rowing and through the Olympics and, and, and teaching, like you said, and motivating the next generation of athlete. What would your words of, or what would your advice be in a, in a segment I like to end off every show with a, called words of wisdom? What would your words, words of wisdom or advice be for that next generation of athlete or that next rower that wants to reach the Olympics? Well, I already slid in one nugget in our conversation. It's like normal people can do um, incredible things. And, and I don't even know what normal is, but everybody um, can do incredible things. But I think most importantly, um, fear and doubt are part of a champion's path, right? So just because you sometimes have fear or you may sometimes have fear or you may sometimes have doubt. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't think that you're not the right person or you're on the wrong path. Um, I don't know a single champion in anything that didn't have fear and doubt sort of sometimes it lingers and it lasts longer and sometimes it goes through really quickly, but it always comes um, as part of the whole decision-making process but, uh, you know, fear and doubt are always going to be there and you don't have to make them go away. You just turn the volume down on that, right? Just turn the volume down on fear and doubt and then work, focus on, um, your technique, focus on your training, focus on the time that you've been in it, focus on why not focus on that. You like it and use these things to all turn the volume up on the positive voice. So, you know, like, and it's the same with stress, stress, stress is, stress is a good thing, right? It's, it's sort of packaged with that fear and doubt and you don't have to make it go away, right? You just work to turn the volume down on that and, and turn the volume up on, on the positives and the why nots and the I'm ready and the, um, I can do this and I've got good teammates and I can ask that question, right? Like sometimes that's, Fear, it's, it's that, that's, that's all packaged into asking a question, right? You've got fear and doubt about looking like you don't know the answer. That's okay. <laughs> Just turn the volume down on that and go ask the question, right? Like, why not? Like, that's, 
getting asking the question is the first step to moving forward. That's awesome. Well, Marnie, thank you so much um, for sharing your insight, your experiences, um, and your your time with Kathleen and, and sharing your advice for the next generation. Because um, yeah, the, once we once COVID ends and once we get to a new normal, there's definitely going to be a lot of hungry athletes out there that want to get back yep. into competition and, and compete and and get back to sports. So thank you for sharing your time, um, and we really appreciate it. Oh, this is this has been great, Ryan. Thank you. And and next time I'm gonna keep a box of Kleenex closer. <laughs> Until then, uh, take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, bye. Slippery slope.